Everybody, welcome to Making a Geek. I am Damien DiCarlo. I am hosted here with my lovely co-host, Avatar Stone. Hi, Avatar. Hey, how's it going? I am well. Thanks for being here. Uh, with us today, we're also being joined by Fanbase Press, which is the uh, wonderful podcast and publishing company. Welcome, guys. How are you? We're good. Hi, Damien. Hi, Avatar. Hello. Good to see hey, you guys. Again. Thanks for Hello. being with us. Uh, we're super excited. We're going to be covering... Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith. Um, this is going to be a retrospect looking back. Uh, the movie originally came out in 2005, and we're going to just dive right in into our thoughts, what we think of the film all these years later um, as we continue going through the Star Wars saga. So we're just going to start off with the question. Now that we've seen the film, uh, most likely recent for all of us, uh, I would like, love to pose the question. What do you guys think of the film now after all these years? How does it hold up for everyone? Brian, do you want to start? Yeah, um, sure. I guess I, I might be, I don't know if I am, but I might be the more, the more positive. And uh, I feel like for me, um, the more that with the prequels, I think I've discussed it on, on our previous episodes that we talked about, the, but the more that I sit with the prequels, the more I'm able to let go of what my preconceived notions were uh, just as a fan of the original trilogy and accept the story that George wanted to tell and that we were given. Um, there are definitely still flaws, um, but this is probably the the most well done or most uh, solid of, of the three prequel films. And I feel like the more that I can let go of those preconceived notions, the more this film works for me. And um, I also would add, I think many fans would agree that uh, having the Clone Wars as a companion piece also really builds this uh, film into something that hits with more impact. If, if you're someone who's followed those films and you know what's going on with Ahsoka at this time or or the previous um, uh, characterization that's been built between those three characters, Ahsoka, Obi-Wan, and Anakin, I think there's things that play out more strongly in this film than just the first time we viewed it uh, in, in theaters with just the, the two previous films to go off of. Yeah, I'll definitely agree with that as well. Barbara, what are some of your thoughts regarding the film now? Honestly, I, and maybe this is to your surprise, but I agree 100% with everything <laughs> that Brian said. Um, I think that uh, years ago, I felt that episode three was the strongest of the, the trilogy, and I still feel that way. Um, I certainly enjoy this film the most. Um, I think that it has the most pathos and for me resonates the strongest. Um, but I think especially like Brian was saying with things like um, the last season that recently came out of the Clone Wars and then of course Bad Batch as well, which happens a little bit uh, after this movie. But I think all of that as a whole really juxtaposes amazing um, 
uh, backstory that you can, you know, all of us were previously filling in the gaps ourselves as to what may have happened, but to really have that in full color detail, um, both before, during, and after everything that's happening, uh, you can really fill that in mentally as you're watching everything. And I think that really resonates emotionally as well. The only thing, and we'll probably come to this later, is as a parent of twins now, uh, I can officially say that it is not physically possible to run out of a spaceship carrying twins. Just it, that's not how <laughs> I throw it out there. <laughs> not how life works. Maybe in space. Maybe in space, but no. <laughs> Avatar, what do you think a little bit on this whole uh, weigh in of the film? I have to agree a lot with what you guys just said. Um, previously, the thought of the trilogy of episodes one, two, and three just made me angry. Um, <laughs> and having rewatched them throughout doing these, uh, these podcast episodes with you guys, I'm coming to see kind of your point of view and, and being able to release a little bit of that hatred that I originally felt. But having watched this one again and having seen it in, what was it, 4K? We saw it in 4K. We saw yeah. it in 4K okay. and seeing all the detail behind it and those extra things that I missed the first and second time around, it actually impressed me a lot more than I expected. And I found myself actually enjoying the film and being right. able to let go a little bit. Um, I stand by uh, Hayden Christensen not being a good actor, but <laughs> Ewan McGregor more than made up for it. So I'm good. <laughs> yeah, I would say within these three films that we've discussed it before Ewan McGregor has single-handedly carried us through a very strong performance and his role as Obi-Wan and I I think if we didn't have uh his presence as an actor I think that would have made a huge huge difference in the way that these films held up and it's it really is a testament to him and his great acting ability he's um, a consummate professional he's been amazing in every movie I've ever seen even if it's right. a movie I didn't enjoy yeah, no, no, he's a fantastic actor and it still it still shows even after all these years. I mean, he's he's progressively just gone better and better. Agreed. So what were some of the standout moments, um, would you say, looking back now at episode three that either worked for the film or against the film? Um, Brian, let's start with you on that. OK, uh, the one that I go to uh, a lot these days is I, I have to say this is not something I realized on my own. It was pointed out by uh, another video essayist on online um, who was examining the film and how they they thought there were overlooked uh, positive points or, or well-crafted moments. And um, there is something where the audience tends to miss it. So I think there's a, a criticism there. But the, the moment that I'm going to mention is uh, a reflection between the scenes or a parallel between the scenes where uh, Anakin executes Count Dooku and uh, when Mace Windu goes to uh, execute the, the Chancellor um, and Anakin ends up cutting his arm off. Um, in the first scene, we have Anakin um, being pushed by Palpatine. He's, he says, you know, to kill Count Dooku, even though he's, he's unarmed, Anakin does it. And then uh, what Senator Palpatine says to him, or I guess Chancellor Palpatine says to him next is, it, you know, it, don't worry, you did, you did well he was too dangerous to be left alive. And Anakin kind of pushed back. He said, we have it, he's unarmed, it's not the Jedi way. And, and Palpatine kind of just goes into, well, revenge is very natural. You know, you, you have to understand, it's completely understandable. 
Um, and what is interesting is these exact phrases come up when they, we have this confrontation of the Jedi attempting to arrest Palpatine. Um, when it's left with just Mace Windu and, and Palpatine, um, at some point, Mace, he, he, uh, he seems to give in to the dark side, to fear. Um, and he becomes, becomes worried that there's no way to arrest Palpatine because he controls the courts and the Senate. Um, and says he's too dangerous to be left alive. And Anakin pushes back. He goes, no, that's not the Jedi way. We have to arrest him. And uh, Mace goes to do this, make a swing. And, and Anakin at that moment makes his choice, you know, uh, cuts off Mace Windu's arm and essentially takes, you know, his biggest step forward to becoming Darth, Darth Vader in this film. Um, and what's really interesting about that is how it shows um, or is meant to be shown from a writer's perspective, I think that Anakin is losing the ability in that moment to see anything different in the Jedi than the Sith. And if the Jedi are offering nothing in regards to his wife, that you must just let her die, and the Sith are offering, well, we can save her. You know, the, there's no reason why he wouldn't make that choice. You know, the, these, there, there's a carefully crafted moment there that I think is often missed. And, and I, I just think it's really interesting to think about how, especially again, when we go back to the Clone Wars, how um, Anakin has come to feel that the Jedi are less uh, than they say they are very consistently, that they have contradictions. And he has this manipulation, this grooming going on by Palpatine that uh, slowly erodes you know those differences to say like hey like the jedi are just the same as everybody else you know and everyone's out for themselves and and you got to be making the choices that are right for you and so i would offer that as being the standout moment yeah that was a very good uh well said brian thank you um thank you Bar barbara what about you what what, what stood out now after sure, all these I years think um, I think as did previously, but perhaps more interestingly now is, of course, the, the Mustafar scene at the end between Obi-Wan and Anakin. Um, it's, uh, I think, the most Shakespearean, uh, the most heightened and, and uh, just horribly sad to watch, uh, not only de the demise of this character, um, but the demise of this, this brotherhood and this friendship between these two individuals. Um, and I think what was interestingly interesting in this rewatch is that uh, I have long felt that there is uh, the theme of compassion that runs throughout the entire Skywalker saga and uh, compassion with regard to um, how it can affect people when applied and also how it can affect people when it is missing. Yeah. Um, and I think what was interesting in this scene is that you really do see a love that Obi-Wan has for Anakin, but I felt as if, um, and this is very strange to say, but that Obi-Wan kind of gave up on him um, in this scene. Uh, I think that uh, I think that Obi-Wan saw Anakin go a step too far and he didn't know what to do with that. Um, and I don't necessarily hold that against him because people are flawed individuals. They can't be expected to make the right choices all the time, especially in the heat of the moment and especially, uh, no pun intended, heat <laughs> of the moment. Um, but uh, I think what's interesting is what to ponder what would have happened if Anakin had more experience, if he had more lived experience, um, more uh, tools and capabilities to look beyond the failings of Anakin and still reach out to him. I mean, the one thing I will leave you with is what would have happened if instead of leaving Anakin there in the, the lava, 
if he would have taken him with him, what if Obi-Wan would have taken Anakin, healed him, um, and helped him to find a better path? Um, but I think that the Obi-Wan that we saw there um, is not the Obi-Wan that we see later that we meet in the original trilogy. Um, and I honestly am so excited to see this new Obi-Wan Kenobi series right. that's going to be on Disney Plus because I think that's yes. exactly the journey that you are going to see emotionally. You are going to see the Obi-Wan that left his best friend, his brother, in the lava on Mustafar. Uh, just, you know, having given up on him emotionally, mentally, and then seeing the journey of him to becoming the Obi-Wan, who perhaps would not have left him there. Well, he's also a soldier going from, like, a soldier going to a Jedi, mm -hmm. you know, because they've been led astray. That was the point of the war, is to complicate the, uh, or murky up the the Jedi values and pull them further away from, like, their their true purpose. And, and that's complete with Obi-Wan. And what's interesting, on top of what you're saying, is there was a cut scene. I, I believe it was the correct edit, but I know that there was originally going to be a, a addendum to, uh, I guess, the immolation scene that we currently have, um, where Anakin was going to say, Obi-Wan, help me. And Obi-Wan was going to be like, no, I can't. <laughs> and I think that would have really turned people on off you know on on the character but i i do agree with you that uh when when i look back now it's um it's really interesting that he he pur they purposely have him turn away when anakin catches on fire he doesn't move to like put him out of his misery or to help him he just looks away and that's a that's a very uh, i had a friend once say to me like he's like you know i don't lo i don't love episode three but that is like some cold shit. Like, you get burned up and everyone just looks away from them. So, and, and this is my take, and I appreciate your thoughts, Barbara. I felt that um, looking back, and you just reminded me a mental note I made when I watched this that I think the reminder for me in, in the Jedi way was to not feel. It was mm -hmm. forbidden to love, first of all, right? And that's exactly what Anakin ended up doing. But I feel in this, in this case that uh, Obi Wan was was becoming what he needed to be as a Jedi to carry through this moment. I think it wasn't that he all of a sudden grew to disdain, you know, Anakin, but it was more just that, that he had to remove his emotions that he couldn't even approach him while burning to not allow him to be tempted or to, to feel that uh, emotional pull to feel sorry for him or to try to help because I, I, I would assume that the, the Jedi way is to not feel at all because that is the path to the dark side. So that's what I got out of that scene looking back again, because I didn't feel at the time that um, it was, I didn't know the real true reason the way, the way he left him that way or quote unquote deserted him. What do you, what do you think on that Avatar? I know you and I saw that scene and we, we had some comments on that, that uh, immolation scene. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad you brought up the Mustafar scene because we actually paused it to talk about it while we were watching it. And I brought up, and this might be a little repetitive at this point, but that they weren't fighting from a place of hate. They were, and I might actually disagree with myself now after what you said, but they were they were fighting out of a place of, of love. They, they still loved each other, but Anakin was starting to pull back from that. He didn't feel that as much anymore. He just felt like it was his duty. They were fighting out of a sense of duty to what they were be to believe in, what Anakin was being brought to believe and what Obi-Wan believed was right. So right. it was a brotherhood in, in arms, if anything. I would agree with that. I feel that they, um, 
they, man, the chemistry between Hayden Christensen and Ewan McGregor during that fight, if nothing else, was to me, to me, it was my favorite uh, lightsaber battle to date. To me, that that's the greatest one. And for me, it's that was, and I was telling Avatar, like, it's funny, I'm thinking this is the greatest fight every time I see it, and you know, neither of them die. So, you know, it's, <laughs> it's just like, it's kind of funny. And you knew that when you first saw it, and yet it still was exciting. It was you had this this big showdown between the two and it was done flawlessly in my opinion i feel that it was um they were almost two two equals like fighting each other it was almost like a mirror match like they were <laughs> they were doing the same exact moves they were doing the exact same things to a point where they kind of just got kind of like well i mean what are we going to well, do they were I mean, mirroring each other doing the we same were talking thing. about that yeah. yeah i think what's really interesting and i think it's a combination of what everyone is saying um, but it's it's interesting to think of generationally the Jedi and how they evolve their thoughts yeah. on the the tenets of what uh, uh, it is to be a Jedi and, and what you have to be to be a Jedi. Um, because I'm sure from you know the Book of Wills, it's one very specific thing versus what you see through the ages. And and we see in the movies um, Jedi's like uh, um, uh, Mace Windu. And of course, Yoda saying one thing, like you were saying, Damien, that, you know, you, it's a very strict code that you have to walk, uh, one without emotion, one without uh, love or compassion. Um, and it's interesting just to see generation, generationally from uh, them to Anakin and Obi-Wan, because now, like Brian was saying, with the benefit of the Clone Wars, we now see that uh, neither Obi-Wan nor Anakin were free of love. I mean, we we know now that Obi-Wan, you know, had a relationship to what degree we don't entirely know, but he had a relationship uh, of love with uh, Satine uh, from Mandalore. So we see that even in that, Obi-Wan and Anakin share that um that growth as individuals and as Jedi that, you know, we are still Jedi. We still believe in the tenets of, of being a Jedi, but we, we also relate with one another because we know what it is to have that love for another person. Um, but whether they choose to act on it, like you were saying, Damien is, is really, you know, what, what casts their path forward as Jedi. So it's, it's just so interesting to think, especially because then of course, in the later films, you know, those tenets kind of go out the window when you get to Luke uh, and Leia, and then additionally, when you get to uh, Ray and uh, Kylo Ren, etc. Yeah. So it's just so interesting to think about. Sorry, that relationship still just... Mm. I'm sorry. So let's, like go, let's go into that. So let's go into we're that. Gonna, uh, we're going to cover that. Okay. <laughs> that, that brings me to my next question. So we, okay. stood out, we, we had these moments that stood out that were positives. Now, what about the negatives? Let's start with you, Avatar. I'm sorry, I just woke up. What was that? <laughs> welcome, welcome to the show, Avatar. <laughs> I try. No, I was wondering now at this point, we, we talked about standout moments in a positive light. What are some, I guess, negative standout moments now looking back that stand out? I think you talked touched yeah. on this whole love I story. Think, I think you know how I feel about it. With the obvious exception of Leia and Han, I don't, feel personally and maybe it's because i'm not a romantic i don't feel star wars is the place for romance i don't think it fits in the universe i want it's called star wars not star love i know <laughs> whatever but the relationship between anakin and uh padme um creeps me out more and more throughout each film it's like 
she knew him as a child. She was like 30 years old at the time. And then he grew. Now she looks the same, but she's like 40 now and he's 16 and it's just not okay. (laughs) And then they have these kids together. And yeah, this is the greatest setup for the greatest trilogy, four, five, and six. We need Luke and Leia. But could they have come from a less like creepy place? Maybe I, I see I what know. you're saying. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> I don't agree with you 100% on this, but I feel that um, looking back, the more times I do see this, it is a, a little bit of an uncomfortable way to go about this love story. Like it's an uncomfortable, I don't know if it's just the acting or the age difference or the way Hayden Christensen's style of acting is, which <laughs> I didn't think he did horrible, but it just, it felt very uncomfortable and kind of forced. It felt um, robotic. Yeah. Yeah. It did feel well, and I think part of it is to to pay tribute to Darth Vader's character, which is supposed to be that way. You know, later on, of course, maybe they were kind of doing this foreshadowing of what is to come as far as the way he is. And he was very, I guess, robotic in his uh, method of falling in love. It was very not. It wasn't very emotional. It was kind of like just everything was just clicking right for him to continue this obsession. I think you're giving it too much credit. Maybe I am. (laughs) Maybe I'm looking too far into it. (laughs) I think you're giving it more credit than it deserves. I think it's just, like I said, Hayden Christensen, not a terrible actor, not great. And I think he just, he personally couldn't do that aspect of it very well. Barbara, what are some points of the, of the film looking back that were not, that didn't hold up so good for you? Anything stand out for you? Sure, absolutely. Um, I actually, in the last rewatch that Bryant and I did, um, I I noted in the scene, the final scene, I guess not final scene between the two, but um, before Padme leaves for Mustafar to go and find Anakin, um, she has the final scene with Obi-Wan in her home. Um, why are you laughing? I'm laughing because Barbara's critical scene is also my favorite His scene. Favorite scene, scene so. in the film. <laughs> we we had this discussion when we were watching. I'm so sorry. No, go ahead. Um, You're welcome to your opinions. I interestingly, and um, I don't I don't necessarily agree on Hayden Christensen um, because I think unfortunately uh, I think George Lucas is not an actor's director, and by that I mean he does not understand. He's amazing at storytelling um, and at cinematography. He does not understand how to relay um, emotion to actors, uh, which is why, especially in the behind the scenes of the original trilogy, you even see like Carrie Fisher and Harrison Ford and and, um, Mark Hamill being like, making fun of George because he just doesn't get it. And then that's fine. Not every director is an actor's director. Exactly. Um, And I think that that's why you, and I I promise I'm getting to a point here with this scene, but um, I think that that's why you see character or actors like Natalie Portman and like uh, Ewan McGregor succeed um, in these prequel films because they are veteran actors. They know what they're doing. And sometimes when they're given a really poor script and and perhaps no direction whatsoever that's helpful to them, they can still make do with a a bad script and deliver a, a good performance. I think that in Hayden Christensen's case, he is a good actor. Um, I've seen him do really well in films, but I think that given his newness to the industry, and I think that any of us, if we were working against a great like George Lucas, would simply kowtow to whatever he tells us to do. So if he tells us to, you know, line read a line a specific way, hey, George, sure, absolutely, I will be happy to read it that way. So I, I want to give him that credit. Um, interestingly, in this scene, I'm going to say the opposite for Ewan McGregor. Um, I really did not 
believe the pathos that he had for what he was about to do uh, for, to Anakin, um, because he acknowledges that what he's always known, which is that uh, they have been together, um, Anakin and Padme, that they have a, a relationship with one another. Um, he acknowledges verbally something that no one has wanted to say, but that they are together and these are their children. She's pregnant with his children or child, they thought at that point. Um, uh, but his delivery of that line to me just seemed throwaway. It didn't feel to me as if he was saying subtextually with that line, well, you're carrying his child and I'm going to have to go and kill him right now. I just really didn't feel that in any way, shape or form. Uh, and then of course, that's where we go in the, the next scene. So sorry, long way to get there, but- No, no, that, uh, that was good. I'm glad you brought yeah. that up. Yeah. That's very interesting. That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I didn't like the delivery of that line, especially because um, <laughs> yeah, it's all and I were like, no crap. Yeah, of course. That's that. Yes. No, that's, Anakin's the dad. <laughs> that is really interesting that you say that because I didn't even think about that, but we were watching and I just went, uh, okay. And I didn't even think past that. I was just like that, that, yeah, obvious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Brian, what, what was the, uh, the opposite here for you. What, you I need to apologize. Um, <laughs> for me, I, I guess for the, me, the, the, the standout, uh, I guess, uh, failures or negatives, I guess, of the film would be, um, uh, I guess, two, uh, two elements of the villains. Um, I think that General Grievous was uh, pretty much underused. You know, I, I don't know if that what George's approach specifically was going to be with that character, but um, he's dispatched pretty quickly. Um, you know, you have this big windup of like drawing four lightsabers and then they fight for like two seconds and he loses a hand. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, again, maybe that is supposed to be the point is that, uh, you know, he's, he's nothing compared to a, a Jedi like Obi-Wan Kenobi, but, um, it feel, it feels like something was missed there, especially when we look at some of the other iterations, uh, in the animated series of, of the character. Um, the other one that really uh, bothered me, and this is something that I think was present through all the prequels, um, but we we have in Return of the Jedi when we see the Emperor, we have someone who um, sort of uh, is more of a presence than an actual physical force. I mean, he does uh, electrocute Luke at one point, which is a pretty terrifying scene, um, but he's not leaping around. He's not he doesn't have a lightsaber that we know of. Um, he, his, his control is greater than that. He seems to be able to sit there and know that he's powerful without having to, to uh, lower himself to, to physical combat the way that Vader and Luke do. And I, I guess I always saw that mirrored in Yoda as well, as Yoda's not someone who's picking up his lightsaber in the original trilogy and, and heading off to, to fight uh, the Emperor and Darth Vader, it seems like he is um, risen above that in his, his Jedi status. So I guess that's a long way of saying, like, I, I would have loved to have seen some powers um, or approach to, to Palpatine's uh, conflict with Jedi and with Yoda not being based on a lightsaber battle or, or some sort of um, acrobatics. Um, a great example would be we have the, the scene where he is to be arrested and we have Mace Windu and three other Jedi come into the room 
and it results in in the uh, the chancellor grabbing his lightsaber and like rushing them and killing these the Jedi in quick order. When I think it would have been much more powerful to have something where he uses his uh, his greater use of the Force to defeat these characters. Imagine they come in and he is able to just stop their hearts or or choke them all at the, at the same time, you know, without even moving. Um, I think that would have really helped um, make the the emperor a little less cartoony than he appears at times in this uh, in this episode. He's a little over the top at times for me. I think yeah. I agree with you, and I think that I agree with you more so than that. In that this trilogy is just a bit cartoony in general. Like we were talking when we were watching it, that a lot of the voices were a little cartoony. Goofy. And yeah. yeah uh, like how many of the, the Emperor may be a little less so because he was mimicking the original, sorry, the Chancellor, because he was mimicking the original voice of the Emperor from the original trilogy. But a lot of the aliens' voices were just like, ooh, like Jar Jar Binksy. Let's talk about the cast. Um, let's talk about how they reprise their roles um, yet again for, for the last of the prequel trilogy. Um, Avatar, what are your thoughts on the cast? The, anyone stand out or anyone that you want to have a comment about? I mean, like I said, except for what you said earlier about Ewan McGregor's delivery of that one line, I truly believe that he, without his performance... And, and I think I agree with you in what you said about George Lucas as well, just not being an actor's director. And I think Ewan McGregor was able to rise above that more than anyone else in the trilogy uh, and possibly in all of the films, except for Harrison Ford, because he was just high the whole time. <laughs> 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 but I really think that his performance stood out to me a lot. Um, he, There was not, there were no moments really where I went, he's a bad actor because he's just fantastic in everything. Um, I still kind of stand by what I said with Hayden Christensen. It is possible that it was because he was so new at the time to the industry. He hadn't really grown into what he was supposed to become, but I just didn't enjoy his performance at all. It felt very robotic. And if that was intentional, I will change my mind. I will sing a different tune. But if it was unintentional, as I believe, it was just not not enough for me. I will say, though, Chewbacca, well done. <laughs> all the Chewies. I don't even think it was Peter Mayhew. Or did Peter Mayhew play all of the Wookiees? That's what I'd like to know. I don't know that he played all the Wookiees. I definitely know that he was he, Chewbacca. He didn't let anyone touch that role. And He was and Chewbacca, he right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I figured, <sighs> yeah, he was still the whole time. Um, the Chewbacca. I didn't know if it was that he jumped in every suit. I, mean, I think a lot no, of it was CG. I was kidding when I said that. No, because I mean, some, they some could, of it was CG, yeah. It was CG, right. Okay, I figured yeah, the rest of them were. <laughs> um, Brian, back to you on uh, your comments. So what do you think regarding the cast? Anyone stand out or anyone that looking back just didn't do it for you? Yeah, I, I don't want to, I think we we all agreed on on Ewan McGregor, so I won't, I won't, uh, beat that drum any longer. Uh, but I, I will give, uh, since I just talked about things I disliked about the emperor um, or chancellor at this time, I will give uh, some props to Ian McDermott. Um, I think he does a fantastic job reprising this role. Um, and he's been a joy throughout, I would honestly say throughout all three films, the way that he kind of like uh, 
plays the these this two-faced character and and has these like telling lines um and and i think he uh, and again like maybe this is something that connects to the point being made before about not needing the acrobatics but he is the his uh, actors uh tools are the special effects that you need the way that he can switch so easily vocally from this like sort of nice senatorial voice to that dark sort of almost like froggish like throat uh throaty um emperor voice is, is oh yeah we so kept commenting sorry. about that you know <laughs> i mean sometimes it is over the top and i think they they put some like effects on it sometimes which i think were unnecessary some some like digital effects but like there's moments i remember where i think anakin confronts him for the first time where he reveals that he is the sith and he talks about uh, feeling Anakin's anger and he kind of just drops into it about how it gives him focus and, he, and, he, and you're all of a sudden like oh you're in there you, this this creepy individual is just inside you you've been wearing this mask the entire time and that's really cool to see that dropped just with yeah. the uh, the, vo- the vocal changes absolutely. yeah absolutely Barbara what what stood out for you as far as acting goes in this film um I guess I'll give a shout out to Jimmy Smith's. I think he um, he doesn't have a ton to do in this movie, but I think that that speaks to his um, his acting ability, which I, I've never had call into question ever. But um, he uh, is very much Leia's dad, you know, and <laughs> he's the picture. same. Yeah. yeah, he's the same Bail Organa that we see in the Clone Wars, um, and uh, that uh, believably is someone that you know, leads the rebellion uh, until she's able to take up the mantle and, and so many others. So um, I'll just, I'll tip my hat to, to Jimmy Smith. I want to say that um, I'll go right back. Yeah. In, in, in agreeance with Ian McDermott. I mean, that to me stood out for the first time this time watching it and his performance was just so unbelievable. I couldn't believe like I, I had missed all that um, not seeing it for a while. And uh, he did very well in all of these films, but I, I think he really shined in episode three and everything just came together for him to just be the emperor and just go full on. It's almost like he was holding it in. Like you were saying, Brian, like he just had this mask on and he finally gets to take off this mask and be who he has been inside this whole time. Well, I think we can liken that to what you said about the emperor in the original trilogy in that. Yeah. He was, extremely powerful to the point where he didn't really need to get involved and I think we saw in episode three him slowly arriving to that point where he was like oh I don't need to do anything I can just let them take care of it I'll just have my little lightning hands he he became that powerful character in this film absolutely joy to watch I'm gonna say though I I did not enjoy for the first time also I didn't enjoy looking at uh looking back I wasn't big on Christopher Lee's character. I, I think he added a bit of a cheesiness for me. I, I think it was just because I, I love Christopher Lee. He did fantastic in the Lord of the Rings and other films. Uh, I just I felt somehow Count Dooku this time was a little bit um, little a little over the top put on, I guess, is what I is, is what I took away from it, though. I appreciate him as an actor. I feel he didn't work well for this trilogy. That could be, again, what you were hearkening to, where just having that kind of director that does line readings, which as an actress is very rough. 
Yeah. You, you don't want to be hearing like, this is exactly what you have to do. So yeah. it could be that Christopher Lee was just such a consummate professional. He's one of the best brilliant actors of his generation. Absolutely. That yeah. he, he couldn't really bring himself to the role with someone just giving him line readings. Yeah. And that, that brings up the case. point what Bryant was saying um, regarding how well, both of you, both Barbara and Bryant, you mentioned about George um, not being a, a people director. And I think that, I mean, having met him, and spent a significant amount of time with George. He, he's very just not. Um, I guess. I guess the word would be sociable. He's not very sociable. He, <laughs> he can. He can talk, but he struck me as the kind of guy that wouldn't talk unless you made him talk. You know, he's quite literally a space cadet. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go with that. He was. Yeah. I mean, I think that, and it shows a little bit in the films. Though he's brilliant in just everything else we've talked about. We even said that in our coverage of episode one and two that he is just brilliant when it comes to visuals and his story ability to get into taking us to a different world and being consistent with that and being creative. But when it came to people, I think that may not have been his, his most powerful uh, ability to, to direct. And I think that kind of shows now thinking of things like, you know, Christopher Lee being a fantastic actor. And I think he was a little lost as to this character. I think it, it didn't really, it wasn't him to me. Like it, it, he could have been, better and i think that may have may have been a lack of direction in my opinion so let's move on to what stood out very very powerfully in episode three for me personally let's talk about the film score with john williams uh, i think that this has a lot going right now with this film as far as the um the score it, it really just took us to a different level uh brian what what comments would you have regarding the film score by john williams in this one I just think, I think the music and the prequels is fantastic overall. I really, uh, I absolutely love the love theme across the stars that uh, is picked up here. But I think the, the real, the real uh, standout piece is the battle of the heroes, which is the, what we hear behind um, Anakin and Obi-Wan's uh, lightsaber uh, fight. Um, and it's just, it's got those uh, choir elements that we had in um, uh, Duel of the Fates, it reprises, I think, some of Duel of the Fates at some point. Yeah. And, and, and just, it, it feels exactly like what we need when we're having these two uh, friends battle, you know, so viciously um, knowing. And, and I think also there's, throughout the whole, the whole score, there's a, a whole lot of tragedy uh present you know we hear that when we see the fall of the jedi and and order 66 um there are several times where i feel like towards the the end of the film there's just a sense of the crumbling republic and how something dark is rising you know and a lot of that is communicated um through the score and even the, even the parallel scenes where we have the birth of anakin's children and the death of padme with this, uh, this rising or, or rebirth of Anakin as Darth Vader, which, you know, feels uh, tragic as well, you know, or epic and tragic, I guess is what I would say. So I, I just think he knocked it out of the park. Barbara, any comments regarding the score? I, I honestly, I would just echo what Brian said. I, I don't necessarily know that I have anything additional to offer. Avatar, how about you? Anything to say? I was gonna say exactly that. <laughs> um, that was basically the perfect answer. And I yeah. don't think any of us can add anything to it. Yeah. <laughs> as long as we're all in agreement. agreement. Okay. <laughs> yeah. um, I, 
I would say the uh, what really stood out, and it always does every time I see episode three, is the ominous uh, music, specifically when um, Anakin is in the in the council room on his own right before going to uh, see Mace Windu right. um, take down uh, the Chancellor. I, I think the music there and the mood didn't i i never felt that again in a star wars film it was very very ominous very um not john williams it, it did not sound like him when i first saw it i'm like is this a different composer all of a sudden it was so off when we uh from what we hear normally with john williams and i think he did a very very good job being not john williams for a little while like it well, was he very really showed his versatility in this. exactly too. yeah he was versatile at this moment and this is the film that would require that it was not the fun happy-go-lucky star wars adventure this was like brian you said it was a, a tra- the tragedy of, of anakin but now this is the 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 epic conclusion of it or i guess beginning i guess what you could refer to as and i think he did a fantastic job yeah so in this in this one, uh, this film, this is, I believe, to my knowledge, verify for me um, if I'm if I'm wrong, but this is the first Star Wars film to be PG-13, and I think that that was due to the film's darker tone. Yes, yeah, that's it, correct. It was right. Yeah, yeah, the I remember that. The death of Anakin, or the almost death of Anakin, was definitely enough to make it. So I think <laughs> I would say that. Yeah, yeah. and I mean, uh, what what would you say going to PG-13 rating, uh, Barbara? Now looking at the film, it obviously went darker. And do you have any any comments on the film's dark tone? Um, I think with a lot of. Uh, trilogies of different properties, uh, you see this happen. And I think it's natural for for a story to progress into darker tones because uh, just as we all age, uh, you know, life gets more challenging and there's more gray area of us, uh, of things that we have to to process and understand. Um, And I think that very much George has always wanted this property to be a kid's property, something to be enjoyed by all ages and families. Um, And so I think that, uh, you know, number one, because of the content of what was uh, story-wise uh, certain to happen, we were going to end up here. But I think that likewise, uh, the movies aged up with the audience as well. Obviously, uh, like Avatar said, we have Jar Jar Binks uh, in the, the first uh, episode one. Um, and as things progress, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's just going to get a little bit darker. Um, I don't, you know, obviously there are going to be um, certain age groups of kids that I still wouldn't want to watch this uh, just yet, you know, at the whatever age that they might be. Um, but I think that it's only natural that, you know, some of the the kiddos who started watching episode one would um, be okay to progress on to both episode two and then then to episode three. As, as a mother now, um, Barbara, what, what, what is your take now with a darker Star Wars film? Like you've mentioned yourself, first episode we had kooky uh jar jar binks and that things were a little bit light lighter as in terms of um the story but um what age range would you say wouldn't be appropriate for this film i mean you're seeing a a a very tragic story a very dark story Mm -hmm. and you're practically seeing someone burn alive and and those (laughs) in those kind of scenes i would wonder as a mother where's the as a geeky mother where's a good point to introduce a film like that to your children 
That's a good question. And obviously it's going to vary for every parent, you know, right. depending on what uh, their individual child might be able to uh, withstand or, or more importantly to process. Um, and I think that uh, any age that this would be appropriate for, I'll add the caveat that I think that would necess necessitate uh, discussion with the, the child about what's happening, what they're seeing, how that makes them feel. Exactly. Um, yeah. So I, I'm going to be a bit cagey in giving a, a certain age uh, because I think it also depends on you know, when did they start watching episode one? I don't, I don't know that I would necessarily start with the prequels, honestly, um, right. with a, a child. I think that I, I think that there is a, um, a developmental aspect to the way the story was told that makes a lot of sense for me in being able to relay this story uh, in starting with the original trilogy and then giving greater context, uh, especially given the maturity that would be needed for episode three. So um, right. I'm going to be a little cagey in my answer with that, but because there are so many different factors that I there's, think. Uh, there's that a lot. Yeah. And I mean, they, they recommend 13 years old, but you know, I think in that point, um, it really just depends on the child and, and the relationship that they have with um, with their parents. I know a lot of films, even for even even almost to their twenties, they find visually scary, whether it's post traumatic or anything that that's triggering, you know, uh, disturbing thoughts. I would say this film is significantly darker than all the other ones as far as its um, its storytelling and uh, its overall tone is just if you didn't know where this story would go further, it would be downright depressing, really. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Yeah, definitely watch four, five, and six first. Agreed. Yeah, I think that I prefer that order than to start with one, two, and three. Um, well, there's something to be said for knowing what's to come. It's uh, There was actually a study done by scientists a few years back where people were told the ending to films and then they were they had them watch them and they found that a lot of the 80% of the people enjoyed the journey. So they, they were like, Oh, I know how this ends, but like, how do we get there? So right. I think that's, that's a fair point with this. If you watch four, five and six, you get to enjoy one, two and three a lot more. Yeah. You're just seeing the journey of how you got to this thing you already love so much. Exactly. Right. And that, I think that builds greater appreciation. Once you see, its roots, not in the story, but I feel the way its roots were in Star Wars in in film. And you get to see that order, how it flourished from the 70s to 80s to the 2000s. And now we have, you know, uh, mini or, uh, yeah, mini series and, and, and an animated series. Um, there's just so much now that you have to appreciate with, with the Star Wars universe. Um, with this film, let's talk a little bit about the significant lack of presence of Jar Jar. <laughs> what, <laughs> what comments does everyone have regarding the fact that Jar Jar isn't in this film mainly at all? <laughs> Brian, let's start with you. Um, I, you know what? I feel bad for Jar Jar. I feel like Jar Jar got, uh, he was a focal point for a lot of uh, dissatisfaction with the prequels and he was an easy target. I mean, I think we've talked in previous episodes, he's, he's an archetypal fool. You know, he put in a Shakespearean play. Um, it wouldn't be that uncommon to have a character like him in a tragedy to kind of release some of the tension, especially when we're tackling such dark uh, content. And and you can argue the execution of uh, his scenes or his his uh, writing is is maybe distasteful for for audiences. But it's not that like a character. Like it's not that humor doesn't have a place or silliness doesn't have a place in a, in a story. 
uh, like this is just how how that is executed. I think that that really um, matters. And and with with this, we don't we don't have uh, we don't have a, much of a resolution for Jar Jar, unfortunately. Um, I think that's maybe the saddest thing. We we see him, um, you know, in the the funeral funeral parade for Padme, uh, which is nice in some ways because we can just kind of interpret, you know, how the events of episode three have affected him. And that can be something we can create in, in our imagination, maybe more stronger than, than would have ever been depicted or fit into this story. Um, but I, but I do, I guess what I do lament is that I feel like Jar Jar slowly disappearing from the trilogy is more of a reaction to the hate that was thrown towards the character than actually perhaps what was George's original intent. You know, I don't know that he meant for the character to be super present in the first film and then just kind of fade away. Yeah. And that's exactly what ended up happening. He was just very, very much just put in the background <laughs> for, for only a few scenes. I think he was in. Right. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Barbara, anything that you have to say regarding Jar Jar not being in this film? Did you miss it? Did you not like the fact that he wasn't in this film? I mean, honestly, I, I agree with what Bryant said, and I think that uh, I think that it was reactionary, most likely. I, I mean, certainly we can speculate, but we we really don't know. But um, I don't think that it would be uncommon, like Bryant said, in in a tragedy, not to see this character any longer because the the path of that character isn't necessarily uh, needed. Um, but I think it's a little different now when when Jar Jar had played such a a pivotal role or at least such a visible role in the first film. Um, and I think that more than anything for me, it just makes me feel, um, it makes me feel bad for what Ahmed Best went through uh, as an actor during this period and, and right. following because it was, I mean, it's not certainly his fault, you know, portraying a role that he was uh, asked to play. Um, that was his job and, and he yeah. did that as best as he could. Um, I'm certainly glad though that he's getting a, a second uh, career life right now. Um, he's on a, a new uh, Disney Plus game show uh, as a Jedi himself. So I'm excited about that. But um, uh, yeah, it's just, I think that there was a lot of toxicity around this fandom. Obviously there's still a lot, a lot of toxicity in this fandom, um, but I think it surrounded the, the prequels and I'm glad that that's dissipating a little bit. Yeah. Avatar, I know that you absolutely adore and love Jar Jar, um, and you can probably tell by the uh, powerful sarcasm uh, <laughs> with me. Uh, <laughs> what, is, what are you thinking regarding Jar Jar now being gone? Do you like that? What do you, what do you have to comment on that? I definitely like it, but I have a little more to add than that, so I don't sound like the dumbass that just goes, I'm happy. <laughs> um, I had heard... There was, there's been a rumor circulating for a long time. It was a fan theory that Jar Jar was actually a Sith Lord, blah, 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 blah. Everyone's heard this theory. I heard a rumor a long time ago, and I have no idea if this is accurate. I kind of hope it is, that that was actually George Lucas's intent was to make him eventually be a Sith Lord. But the hatred came out so strong against this character that he was like, oh, no, never mind. Let's get rid of this yeah. character because yeah. people have reacted so viscerally against him. I do think that if he had followed through with that storyline, assuming this rumor is correct, I may have enjoyed the character. I may have gone, oh, he's a fool on purpose. I can, I can see that. Right. In the case that that is not the case, I'm so happy. Because he just, I had a visceral reaction to this character. And I feel so terribly for the actor because he really was just asked to portray this character. And he did his he did a damn good job being he delivered. Yeah. 
but <laughs> it was just hard for me. I couldn't handle the, the childishness. And that could be to do with the fact that I did not see episodes one, two, and three until I was well into high school. So I was all, already a little older and I just couldn't take the, the uh, I have no words. <laughs> Barbara Bryant, what would you have thought of that theory if had it come true with Jar Jar being the Sith Lord? It, what, are your, what are your thoughts on that? Go ahead. Oh, goodness. <laughs> No, no, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know if that I would have, I don't know what to feel about that. Honestly, I go, um, I I don't, I've seen a lot of the like, like fan, like conspiracy theories videos and like there's, they make a good case, but I, I struggle to imagine that that was really the plan. Um, And I wouldn't be opposed to that, I guess, concept of that kind of twist, but I don't see how that would fit into the story that we're telling with Palpatine and uh, Anakin. You know, I don't, I'm I'm not sure. I guess I will will remain undecided. I I don't know how that would have played out uh, necessarily. And then I kind of do like the, the, the little peek we get into Jar Jar, I guess in the, the new E, EU uh, with some of the books where he is now like this sort of sad street performer on the streets of Naboo uh, that I guess that the kids are very fond of. Um, So I wish we would see that in, you know, like maybe the background of an episode of the Mandalorian or something. Yeah. That's so heartbreaking. (laughs) It It is is. horrible. It's so depressing. (laughs) Even for this character that I genuinely despise, that's the most heartbreaking thing I've ever heard. (laughs) Things didn't work out with the, uh, the queen. I guess not, yeah. you know. He had he had one friend, she yeah. died. No, yeah. the queen from the Clone Wars. The, oh, right. Yeah, the other queen. <laughs> the other queen. I'm sorry. Yes. I, w- I always thought you meant Naboo's queen. <laughs> but now that you say that, that's towards the, almost the end of the, uh, of the of the episode. I'd like to touch on um, you're more experts, fan base press, more than I am in regards to um, what takes place between episodes two and three. And how does now seeing episode, episode three, um, how does that impact you now, knowing all the specifics, all the stories that's happened in between all this? Tears. Lots of tears. <laughs> there's so there, much, right? Yeah. There's so much that happens. And I think I'm a huge Ahsoka fan. Our One of our daughter's middle names is Tano. So that will give any indication. Um, but oh my gosh. And especially the last season. I'm sorry, I'm going to geek out. I promise to keep it brief. But like the last season of the Clone Wars of seeing what Ahsoka went through and Rex and like just everybody. And now that you've seen the Bad Batch and you know what happens. I don't know if anyone has watched Rebels, but you know what happened with um, Caleb or Kanan, uh, as it were, uh, when he was young and his uh, his master. And oh my gosh, there's just, there's so much it will explode your brain if you think of it all, but it's amazing. By the way, you never have to apologize for geeking out on a geek show. <laughs> uh, Wait, Brian, how about yeah, this is a geek show, right? Oh, shoot. <laughs> <That's what I> <laughs> Brian, how about you um, with all the Star Wars lore? What do you think of the episode three now? It's very much the same for me. I feel like the prequels get stronger with the amount of um, additional content that they've been able to supply. The What I love about the Clone Wars um is Dave Filoni really has a a knack for um being a vessel for telling these stories and he worked really close with George so George got to be what he was on the original trilogy which is sort of the idea guy he was coming up with things and giving feedback and saying why things 
played the way certain ways within the stories and, and Dave would take it with his team and actually execute it. Um, and I think that worked out really well. And what they did, they did a couple things. I mean, the one thing they did for me that I, I love as a original trilogy fan is I think ever since Obi-Wan Kenobi as Alec Guinness sat in that hut and said to, you know, Luke, like, yeah, the Jedi were, you know, guardians for over a thousand generations. And, oh, I was, yeah, I was a uh, Jedi Knight in the Clone Wars with your father. Like, we all have been imagining what that was and what those adventures were. And two, Anakin and Obi-Wan, you know, together fighting this war and then this, the descent of Anakin. And the Clone Wars really executes a lot of that groundwork. The things that we are uh, missing or, or feel... Uh, lacking in, in the trilogy um, are, are built up in this uh, series. They build the relationship of Obi-Wan and Anakin into something that feels truly like brothers. Um, I would say Matt Lanter does a fantastic job of adding so much of a, a roundness to the character of Anakin and sort of uh, showing why he believes what he believes and how he's set up to fail by the circumstances of episode three. You get more of a, uh, a nuanced relationship with Padme. You get the, the relationship with Ahsoka, which just um, feels like this really, like I, you know, Ahsoka seems like such a missing piece at this point that it would not surprise me if there is at some point like a special edition <laughs> of episode three, yeah. where there's like some sort of acknowledgement of the character. Um, because it really, there are all these cracks that weaken Anakin's, um, allegiance or view of the, the Jedi Council and um, further establishment of why they are losing their power and why they're reacting poorly. It just, it, it, I can't overstate how much it adds to the films. And it's not something where it's like, oh, you have to watch this if you're going to watch the films. But if you have some interest in these characters or you enjoy these films somewhat, you probably will enjoy going back and spending this time with these these uh, these characters in a, in a more serialized format. I mean, I would even dare to say just briefly that, you know, and Brian and I talk about this often, but uh, as much as I think Padme was pivotal in Anakin's journey to becoming Darth Vader, I would say that if there was anyone that honestly could have saved him, uh, I think it could have been Ahsoka. Uh, now that we've, we've covered episodes one, two, and three, which eventually we'll be covering four, five, six next. Um, what is everyone's thoughts with this prequel trilogy now as a whole, looking back after all these years, after everything we've said regarding all the lore that's in between, filling in the gaps? Um, let's start with you, Bryant, in regards to this prequel trilogy. Um, I guess I will say that I, I've really come to a place where I enjoy the prequel trilogy a lot these days. And while um, it's easy to uh, go through the, like, you know, scene by scene and sort of nitpick performances or certain aspects. I think what I enjoy about it is looking at the story that George was telling, especially when he's talking about how a democracy falls uh, and, and what choices uh, lead to that, the way that, that propaganda is used, the way that war is used, um, and politics, and how they sort of murky uh, one's morality and the, the way that it's hard to get to a, a place of goodness or, or uh, prosperousness if you're, if you're going to, to, I guess, go, go into those muddy waters, you know? It's hard to get clean um, afterwards. So um, I continue to hope that our democracy will not fall, but, but it, does, it does seem to reflect 
uh, many stages, you know, in our in our own uh, history when it comes to the United States. So I find that very interesting. Barbara, how about for you? Uh, I think I'm going to juxtapose um, the prequels as films themselves with the journey of uh, the Jedi generationally. And I think that uh, just as we see in the sequel trilogy, uh, we know that Jedi are fallible. Um, we see this specifically with uh, Luke speaking to his old master uh, Yoda, that uh, mistakes can be made. And I think that the same is the case with the prequel trilogy. You know, I think mistakes are made, but I think that they're hearts were in the right place. I think that they had a wonderful story to tell, which has been evidence, as Brian said earlier, about, you know, Dave Filoni really taking the, the heart and the, the meaning and themes behind what George Lucas was intending to tell with this Absolutely. story yeah. um, and being able to run with it later. Um, but I don't think he would have been able to do so if it wasn't there in the first place. So, but Absolutely. I think that, you know, mistakes yeah. can be made. Everybody can be fallible, um, but, uh, but there's still goodness there. Avatar, how about for you? Sorry, I had to mute myself. My dog was drinking water loudly. <laughs> um, I So up until very recently, like I said before, I had just hated on the prequel trilogy. I think having rewatched them kind of with the podcast in mind and kind of with a more fair view, I've found that I've enjoyed them a lot more. There are certainly aspects to them that I don't, enjoy and that I don't think I will ever be able to bring myself to enjoy. But as a whole, I think the storyline is not what I previously thought. I thought, I think it was actually very well put together and nuanced in a way that really shows the brilliance of George Lucas and his, I can't quite put it into words. I, I find that I do enjoy them now. I'm still going to be have, a lover of 4, seen 5, the and big 6 picture. forever. The, the original trilogy will still be in my heart. If I, anytime I rewatch them, it's like they're brand new. They're my first love, but I can enjoy the prequels now. First love? I thought you said there's no love in Star Wars. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say I, I feel, as I always have, that the prequel trilogy had its um, pros and cons. And I think that the pros looking back outweigh the cons for me i will watch them anytime knowing the big picture of what's in store with the entire entity of what star wars is and i feel that that is the biggest draw for me to always see the bigger picture of everything um i think that this lends itself well to be a, a good rewatch uh if any uh, if uh if anything i'm going to say definitely rewatch them in 4k it is a complete astounding for me yeah it, it really i don't know if it was just the, specifically the tv i was watching on but i mean I, purchasing the 4k set and that looking back into that this whole now more detailed more i mean you saw everything done beautifully almost more so than the the actual theatrical release for me maybe it was just too much for me to take in at once but now we're able to scrutinize every little bit i i really appreciated this um version so i would encourage uh, listeners to get that set if you're going to rewatch it because that to me is the, the best way to see it right now well that's going to pretty much do it for us i'm really happy that we did this uh, but before we go barbara bryant where can folks find you sure you can find us at fanbasepress.com we are on all of the social medias facebook twitter instagram uh, youtube apple podcasts uh, and uh, we hope that you'll give us a look 
Absolutely. Thank you for being with us. And you can find us on Instagram at making a geek underscore podcasts. Don't forget to hit subscribe if you're watching the YouTube channel of this. And until next time, everybody, keep calm and geek out. Good night, everybody. Thank you.